0: marketing officers do for companies is they understand the community. They study the community. They study society. They try to figure out what are the needs, wants, and desires that we can plug into, that we can capitalize on in order to sell a product, in order to build profit for our community. Lawrence Light is the uh, chief marketing officer for McDonald's. Now, obviously, he has a pretty big job. And his job is to figure out how to sell hamburgers, how to sell fries, how to compete against all of the other people that give a fairly cheap, fairly quick meal. And he says this, very insightful, as he looks at the current cultural setting and recent history. He says, if you go back 40 years, people wanted to be identified as normal. They wanted the most popular car in the most popular color. But since then, from a consumer point of view, we've had a change from I want to be normal to I want to be special. This led to the famous me decade, or the me generation, of 20 years ago. But today, our research shows only me has become lonely me. People who don't know the name of their neighbors instead join a chat room. We've labeled this new era internally at McDonald's as moving from the age of me to the age of i and by that we mean i'm an individual but i don't want to feel alone to what group do i belong and we see in this comment the tension that we all have in wanting to be somewhat of an outsider we want to be special we want to be unique we want to be different we want people to look at us and say wow you survive well as an outsider but yet on the other hand we want to be an insider We want the comfort of a community. We want to know that we know our uniform. We know that we fit in to one particular place. We want to be an outsider and an insider at the same time. Now, the church has been one of the primary sociological groupings uh, for 1,900 years. It's been the place where people have marked time where they've had babies, had them baptized, seen them grow old. It's been a place of meaning, a place of security, a place where people develop their identity. But the church's, this time is waning. The church's influence in marking time for people, in giving meaning, giving a sense of belonging is waning because few and fewer people are actually going to church. It's no longer a primary institution of identity and belonging, at least... In the West. Now, if if Lawrence Light is correct, and I think he is, while the church as an institution may be becoming less and less attractive, that which the church provides, the very nature of what it provides, that is, a cosmic sense of belonging, is very much still in demand, in fact, growing. But in the age of I, those who come, those who arrive at church, those who say, I want to belong here, will have vastly different reasons than perhaps they did in the past. Instead of joining a community with a purpose that is larger and more significant than significant than your individual story, that in anyone's person's concerns and desires uh, it, it outweighs those. Persons in the age of I will be arriving with a, a felt need that's more personalized and more individualized. Now, in our passage, we see that that God's design for community, for his household, is actually far more than we expect. And, ironically, it's far more than we demand. It's far more than we ask of our church, because what Paul says that God is doing in his church, in his community, is creating an entirely new humanity where Jesus' peace reigns. Is that what you are demanding of your church? And then also, through which, that he is bringing that peace to bear upon the problems, the brokenness, the loneliness, the fragmentation, the isolation of the world at large. Are we demanding that? It's far more than we expect. It's also far more than we demand. And we're going to look at two things in this text. First of all, the barriers to being built together. And then the blueprint. For being built together, Now, before we dig into the text and unearth some of the things that Paul gives us about the blueprint, how we are to live together, how we are to be built together, we need to do just like Paul did in his letter to Ephesus, that he knew what are the desires, the wants, the, the struggles that is going on in this church, and let me write into that specific context. We also live in a context. We have certain needs and wants and desires that are paramount to others. Just as Lawrence Light uh, identified those for marketing for McDonald's, we need to know what is going on in our own lives, in our own community, and society at large that would prevent, that would be a barrier to true, to genuine community. Now, there's three of these. First of all, we see the first barrier to being built together is the billboard barrier. The billboard barrier. And that is that we all tend to be rather self-referential that we are often asking as we interface with a group, what's in this for me? How do I present myself to the group? How do I promote myself to the group in order to secure this group's approval of me? In order to gain this group's affirmation, how do I posture myself so that they like me, so that I get what I need out of this group? John Locke is a professor at Cambridge and he wrote about a decade ago The Devoicing of America, why we don't talk to each other anymore. And he says regarding small groups, regarding small sociological groupings, if they are thought of as a solution to desocialization, I'm afraid the news isn't very good. Princeton's Robert Wuthnow, you may know, he wrote Bowling Alone, has found that small groups mainly provide an occasion for individuals to focus on themselves in the presence of others. The social contract binding members together asserts only the weakest obligations. Come if you have time, talk if you feel like it, respect everyone's opinion, never criticize, and leave quietly if you become dissatisfied. Two Boston psychiatrists have written a study overcoming loneliness in everyday life, and they say groups fail to replicate the sense of belonging that we have lost, attending weekly meetings, dropping in and out as one pleases, shopping around for a more satisfactory or appealing group, all work against the growth of true community. There's a lot to work against. Now, it doesn't mean that small groups are unnecessary, that being a part of a small grouping of people or a church, as it were, Is unnecessary. We certainly don't need less than a small group experience, but it's possible for us to hold meetings, for us to be very regular, for our small groups, our community groups, to have prayer, to have worship, to have mission, to have learning and sharing, and yet not build genuine community. The growing isolation and loneliness in our culture creates a deep need for community but it also at the same time makes community, genuine community, that much more difficult because we're coming in with felt needs that are very individualized and very demanding. The billboard barrier is that we tend to be self-referential even in groups where we're trying to find a place of meaning, a place of identity. And then secondly, we have the busyness barrier The busyness barrier. In America, we have a very complicated relationship with busyness. We stay busy in order to uh, avoid seeming lonely. And yet at the same time, we feel all the more lonely because we feel like we don't have time for deep relationships. One of the books that I read in preparation for this sermon, um, and I'm still finishing it, but it's fantastic. It's written by a husband and wife team, a couple of medical doctors, and it's called The Lonely American. Americans in the 21st century devote more technology to staying connected than any society in history, yet somehow the devices fail us. Studies show that we feel increasingly alone. Our lives are spent in a tug-of-war between conflicting desires. We want to stay connected, and we want to stay free. We lurch back and forth, reaching for both. And they go on to say, people in our society drift away from social connections because of a push and a pull. The push is a frenetic, overscheduled, hyper-networked intensity of modern life, and the pull is the American pantheon of self-reliant heroes who stand apart from the crowd. The push and the pull of busyness. In other words, what they're saying is that sometimes in our society, because of the way our modern economy works, because many of us have jobs that demand that we work a certain number of hours. Many of us are busy because we have to be, and that's just the reality, that in order to put food on the table, we have to work a certain number of hours. But oftentimes, there's another part of our busyness that's very self-important, that's because we can't shut down. It's because we're busy making a name for ourselves. We're busy being self-reliant, that we want to project confidence. We want to be important. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to be courageous, just as those self-reliant heroes from our American mythology were. Many of us will not answer our cell phone because we feel like there's something more important going on. I'm not going to answer that right now. For the very same reason, some of us, others of us, will answer the phone no matter where we are and what's going on, because it makes us feel important. You see, we have a complicated relationship with technology. We want to be important, and oftentimes we stay busy because it makes us feel important. Not because we have to, but because we're trying to determine, trying to posture ourselves in this community and say, this is who I am. I am busy because I am important. Now, technology has made this uh, search for meaning, for importance, hyper-intense. But restlessness, this, this search for itself, this longing for meaning, this search for affirmation is a human condition. And you see that what Paul is getting at in this passage for the Ephesians is there is peace. Friends, there is peace from that busyness, from this life that is restless because you're trying to find meaning. We'll get to that in a moment. There's the busyness barrier, there's the billboard barrier, and there's also the bubble barrier. Now, it's ironic because this barrier emerges after a certain level of community has been established, after certain elements have been established, certain practices, certain group dynamics are in place. Once that group or community is formed, the bubble instinct is to preserve it at all costs. It's to maintain the status quo. It's to protect a good thing. And so therefore we form very tight boundaries that is hard hard for people to get over and get through. And a great deal of Ephesians deals with this. In fact, our passage deals with it directly. Therefore, in verse 11, remember that you formerly who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. He is trying to say, Ephesians, listen to me. If Gentile Christians you once were very far off why? Because you were isolated from the promises of God. Not because God didn't want you to come in, but that the promises were embedded in a specific community, in the Israelite community. And over time the Israelites thought of begin to think about their relationship with God through the lens of external things like ethnicity, place of worship, cultural practices like circumcision. It's hard for us to get our minds around that. How would that be something that divided people? But it was. It was a huge thing because it was the reason that the Israelites said, you don't belong and I belong. They began to create this bubble. (laughs) And the ironic thing is that as we talk about building community on external things, on cultural practices, on history or heritage, those things work. (laughs) It's easy to build a small group based on external practices, based on behavior, based on dress, based on your, your uh, status in society. It's easy to build a church that is homogeneous, that everyone looks the same. Because people feel, I belong here. People feel a sense of warmth as they come in. People feel that I can be one of this group because they're just like me. It becomes a feedback loop. It's easy to build co- community based on these things, but it is, very, it is a disaster to a church who says Jesus is at the center, that Jesus and his gospel will be the center of our community. Talk about that, that this week in your community groups. What are the barriers that you see most active in your own life, in the life of your group, and also maybe at InTown? Have that conversation as a community. What barriers do we see? And maybe there's more. I'm sure there is. What are some things that are difficult that we're pushing the, the ball uphill in regards to community? And then what resources God has given us to push against those barriers? And we want to talk now about blueprint, the blueprint for being built together because I don't want you to lead just with kind of a sociological lesson. Here are the difficulties, but here is the blueprint. Here is the solution. He says in verse 19, You are no longer foreigners and strangers to this community, obviously, but fellow citizens, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. God is building a community out of people, a holy temple where Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, if he is the cornerstone, that makes you and I, if we are Christians, individual stones. We are the stones that are laid on top of him, building blocks to something much greater. Now, Legos, I don't know if you don't have children, but maybe you played with Legos when you were growing up. They're an amazing piece of engineering. The precision with which they're manufactured is is to a decimal, decimal point. I'm not sure how to explain it, but there is almost no defect in a Lego because it has to fit not only on top of another block, but it has to fit securely. They're an amazing piece of engineering. They're almost perfectly made, but for what? What are they made for? To be scattered around on the floor like they are at our house? (laughs) To be stepped on in the middle of the night when you're trying to get water? That's what I think their purpose is, mainly. But no, of course not. Legos are meant to be built into something much more creative, much more large, much bigger, and more beautiful. We got to visit Legoland down in San Diego a few years back. And in the gift shop, they have bins and bins and bins of all these individual Legos. Right? It's all of the Legos that almost have ever existed. And if you have, if you're missing a piece from a certain, uh, uh, missing a piece from a certain Lego uh, puzzle or Lego uh, vehicle or something, you can go to Legoland California and find that piece. There's bins and bins, and it's really cool to behold. But when you walk out, you see Legoland USA and you see Legoland New Orleans, and you see Legoland Paris, and Legoland New York City, and you realize that all of those bins, while interesting, are not nearly as beautiful, not nearly as cool as Legoland Paris and Legoland New York City, where the Empire State Building is taller than me. It's amazing to behold. And what you realize is those little pieces, those individual blocks are beautiful. They're exquisitely made but they only find their purpose, and that precision only becomes important when they fit on top of something else, when they're built into something else. The first part of the blueprint is that we need a cause. To push against this tendency to act as a billboard, we need to be part of something bigger than ourselves. If your bottom line to life is what is best for me? How do I fit in? What makes me happy? Where do I find personal fulfillment? You will distort and twist yourself into a shell of a human, and you'll sabotage the relationships and the communities that you are part of. We need a cause that's bigger than that. We need to see that God has made each of us exquisitely and with precision to fit inside of a particular community. That He has gifted you and I, if you're a Christian, to fit into a particular mission in a special way. And you are beautiful and you are lovely and you are created with, with attention to find detail. But you never find your purpose in isolation. You never find your purpose and how you fit into God's larger plan outside of community. We need a cause that's bigger than just, how am I made happy? How am I fulfilled? How do I fit into the world? I've been fascinated with watching the Discovery Channel series, When We Left Earth. And I just discovered this a few nights ago, and I've, I've just plowed through five episodes. If you if you have Netflix, if you can get it, DVD at the library, whatever, get it. It's a great uh, show on the development of the space program from the 60s on up until the day, from the first Mercury missions until the shuttle and beyond. And in one of the episodes, Frank Borman, who is, uh, was a, in, the Gemini, in a Gemini mission as well as an Apollo mission, he was, one, he was in the first crew that flew to the moon. They didn't land, but they had to establish lunar orbit in order to know that they could send Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin a few months later. So he was the first one to go around the moon. And he says, and this is a, this is a smart guy, he, he went to the military academy, and then he uh, got an aeronautical engineering degree at Caltech. And he says, I thought when I was sitting in that rocket that there was a one-third chance that we were going to die. But nothing was more important than the mission, not our safety, not our lives. There's no question that even if I thought it was a coffin, I would have flown it. Gladly. You see, there is something bigger that Frank Borman fit into. He saw himself as uniquely gifted, as a smart guy. He's an astronaut, but he is part of a larger whole. He's part of the mission to put a man on the moon. In verse 13, Paul says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. That's the personal side of the story. You, if you're a Christian, have been brought near by the work of Jesus. But for what? So that we can just enjoy the blessings ourselves? So that we can create a pool of blessings? No, he says in verse 22 In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Do you see the connection? You have been brought near so that you can be a dwelling, so that you can be part of a community that that God inhabits, that God indwells, that the promises and the peace of Jesus are distributed through. Jesus is saying, look, I have brought you near. I have laid down everything for you. I've given you insider status that can never be revoked. And I've included you in the place where I dwell by my spirit. I have put you in the place where I am at work, where I am carrying out mission. And my mission is to bring peace in the world. The way that we push through that billboard barrier, friends, is that we're drawn into something much bigger than ourselves. The way that we begin to live lives that aren't self-important and self-referential is that we see our lives as fitting into a mission that completely engulfs us. Where, yes, fulfillment and joy, true joy can be found, not at the expense of our personality and our individuality, but through it. But we must first see that the mission, that the church, the community, the place that God dwells by his spirit is what I was made for is what I was created for, not to be self-referential, not to be a billboard where I advertise who I am in my small group, but to give, to be a part of something bigger. If you're part of my cause, even though you're signing up for something impossibly huge, something you can't accomplish on your own, I will be your peace, Jesus says. Secondly, second part of the blueprint is that we need commitment. To get through the busyness barrier, we need commitment. You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Now, you're probably thinking, this is a get-committed stump speech. This is where you tell me that The reason that you're not really enjoying Jesus is because you're not trying hard enough. You're not attending enough events. You're not committed enough to this church. And I really wish I could say that because for a time it would probably help. But the Bible never motivates through guilt. It never motivates simply by demand or simply by imperative. It's always through the undergirding grace of Jesus. And what Paul does here is he gives nine active verbs in this passage and they're all what Jesus does not what we do in the places where we do have responsibility where we participate with the work of Jesus there're five passive verbs that even the places that we're involved it's a passive verb it's something that Jesus is doing to include us it says that you are brought near that you're given access by the spirit that you're built upon the foundations Foundation of the Apostles and Prophets. You're joined together. You're built together. It's something that Jesus is doing to you and to me and to in town. The commitment is Jesus. Jesus is committed to you. Jesus is committed to this church. The commitment, which is the solution to busyness, is the work of Jesus. In him, you are drawn out of the importance of your personal stories. And your personal story is then connected with a larger story, a larger narrative that subsumes yours. It doesn't make it inconsequential or less important. It just gives it true meaning. Without a doubt, his work, though, of building you up, of building you together, is done in community. And we may need to learn how to prioritize our commitment to community, not because if we don't, that God will be angry, not because if we don't, God will get us, but because if we don't, we won't experience the peace that he is offering. Friends, the peace of Jesus is not found in isolation. It's not found on vacation. It's not found in better management of our circumstances, although all of these things may be necessary from time to time. The peace of of Jesus is found in the midst of community and in the midst of a mission that is larger than we can carry on our own. It's the mi- peace is found in the midst of being drawn up into something far more demanding than our personal needs and wants. If your commitment is simply to your own personal story, if it's only to yourself and your own narrative, then you will be busy proving Your importance day after day. You will be busy even when you settle down, even when you take a break, even when you're on vacation. It will be difficult to disconnect because there's that restlessness. There's that inner murmur. There's that self-reproach that goes on even when we're relaxing because we think, I need to be busy. I need to be doing something. I need to be making something. I need need to be showing and determining my importance if our commitment is simply to ourselves. But if our commitment is to Jesus and his mission, even when you're busy, there is rest. Even when you feel like, I can't take another step, there is rest. There, because there is eternal, eternal and internal rest of the soul. Because you don't need the validation that comes in working longer, in doing more things in the affirmation from your community because you behave in a certain way. You don't need that validation because you have the eternal validation of Jesus himself. For the billboard barrier, we need a cause. We need something bigger than ourselves. For the busyness barrier, we need a commitment. And we find that commitment by realizing how committed Jesus is to us, to our personal fulfillment insofar as we find it in the midst of his community, in the midst of his mission. And for the bubble barrier, we need the cross. The cross. The modern person would say, you'll lose yourself if you surrender to someone else. You'll lose your identity, your personality, your personal worth if you let someone else name you. If you let something else become your center, become your authority. But Jesus says, I am the authority. I am the king whose allegiance is to you. I am the king over a community at which the center is the cross. At which the center is grace. It is forgiveness. It is personal redemption. It is my abiding love. That's what's at the center of me, of my community. Come under my authority, and you will experience authority and submission in a way that you could never comprehend beforehand. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, that is those who have submitted to his kingship in their lives, those who have said, I want to be his. I want to belong to him. I want to lose myself in his story. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the free gift of Jesus, for anyone who will take it, the free gift of forgiveness for anyone who availed themselves on it. That gospel creates a new community, a new humanity, the person and work of Jesus, not our ethnicity. Not our jobs, not our social standing, not our heritage, not our piety is at the center of the community. At the center is the hope that you are accepted, not because of what you do, not because of your performance, not because of your uprightness, not because of your following of the rules. No, by setting aside in his flesh, verse 15, the law, the rules, with its commands and regulations... His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Do you see what he's saying? Is that if if the community is based upon rules and law, then it'll be a community of competitiveness. It'll be a community of pettiness. It'll be a community where everyone turns against one another. But if it's a community that is based on my blood atonement, my sacrifice my bringing you in, if it's based on my work alone, then there's a freedom. There's an ability to let other people succeed even when you don't. There's an ability to let other people excel and to congratulate them, not to compete against them. There's an ability to let other people be themselves and not demand that they become like you. That's what happens when the law, when the rules are set aside, not as guides, but set aside as ways to get to Jesus. That's not what the law is for. Now, we all have, in conclusion, we all have our approved communities. We all have the uniforms that we wear, whether it's the uniform of the business person, whether it's the uniform of the Southeast Portlander, whether it's the uniform of your high school environment. We all have places where we want to be an insider And so we try to put the the right dress on. We want to fit in here. We want not to be an outsider. We want to be an insider. We want to belong. We want to have one place that says, you are valuable. You are worthy. You are affirmed. And I love and accept you. But we do that oftentimes by external things. By conforming to external values that that particular community holds. And as long as we do that, we will be always beholden to the whims of that community. As soon as the wind changes, we have to change. As soon as someone doesn't grant us approval, we're crushed. We're broken because the community that we have placed our our attention on, where we want value from and affirmation and validation, has not given it. So we're crushed. And now we're lonely. Now we're the outsider again. And now we have to figure it all out and find another community that can value us, another community that will give us personal validation. But friends, Jesus knows what it was like to be an outsider because he became the ultimate outsider, crucified outside of Jerusalem, outside of the Holy City. He became an outsider so that you could be the eternal insider. He became a curse so that you could find the blessing of God. He was broken so that you could be put back together. He became inhuman so that you could be the most human, poss- most human being possible. Jesus says, I am the center of this new humanity. I am the center of this new community. If you grasp me, then you can live with freedom. You can live with joy. And your personal story, your personal work, Your personal contribution, though you feel that it may be insignificant, is valuable. It's lovely because I have made you who you are to do what you are doing for my kingdom, for my mission, to be a part of a larger story. Friends, what is your story? What is the community that you most want validation from? Why are you busy Is it building something of lasting value, or is it because you are seeking validation from other people? Because you don't know who you are. Jesus says, I know who you are. Would you live that way? Would you let me name you? Let me bring you into community. Let me build you together with others. That's the story of the gospel. That's why Jesus makes a new community. And that's what we want to see happen at in town if you're here visiting looking in from the outside then talk to me more about this afterwards we'd love to see you become a part of this community a part of this story and a part of this mission jesus is opening his arms to anyone who will come let's pray father god we thank you for the work of jesus we thank you that we can find a place of belonging here with your people Lord, not all of us here are certain of these things. Some of us are quite skeptical. Skeptical. Some of us have been burned by the promises of the church before. And, Lord, so we're, we're reluctant to come in again. We're reluctant to open up that space in our heart that seems to be scarred over with personal injury, with personal offense, with wrong from the institutional church. Lord, I pray that as we consider these things, that we would consider Jesus at the center, that we would see his love, his blood, his sacrifice at the center of everything that the church claims to be. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.